ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد سكنتينيو بلوغ المرام وينا ان نيكست شابتر باب اداب قضاء الحاجه the chapter concerning the etiquettes of answering the call of nature meaning how does an individual answer the call of nature visiting the toilet there are certain things that have been mentioned in this religion that an individual should do when engaging in that so here then the sheikh says al-sheikh salih al-fawzan hafizahullah ta'ala adab qada al-haja al-adab jam'u adab Adab, the manners or the, the methods or the ways of answering the call of nature. Adab is the plural of adab. And the meaning of it is to characterize yourself with something. To behave in a particular way. Whether it is in your statements or in your actions. So this chapter is about the way you should behave when answering the call of nature. When going to the toilet. What are the things that you should do? What are the things that you shouldn't do? And the shaykh says, Qada al-haja, it refers to going to the toilet, whichever uh, type that might be, whichever type that might be, when an individual goes to the toilet and relieves himself and removes that harm from his body, the digested food or the water, then that is the removal of that, i.e. as we say, the answering of the call of nature, going to the toilet. And no doubt this which exits from a person, it's harmful. It's the digested food, it's the, the water which has gone through the system of the body, and the body, it needs to get rid of that. It needs to remove that digested food and that water. And if it doesn't, then that can cause illnesses to the body. So it is from the requirements of the body to have to be able to remove these items from itself. So when an individual goes to remove that which is in his body from eating and drinking, then that is what this particular chapter is about and how a person should behave when doing so. وَلَمَّا كَانَتْ هَذِي الْفَضَرَاتِ الضَّارَّةِ يَبْقَى لَهَا آثَارَ عَلَى الْمَخْرَجِ شُرِعَتْ إِزَالَتُهَا So when a person goes to relieve himself, when a person goes to the toilet, after finishing from the toilet, then no doubt there will be some Leftovers, there will be some signs upon the private parts that are left over after a person finishes using the toilet. So now it's been commanded, legislated to remove that, to remove the after effects, because that is from the purification of a believer, it's from the purification of a Muslim, that he keeps himself pure and clean. And we've already mentioned the hadith lots of times before, the hadith about the two individuals that were in their graves. The Prophet ﷺ walked past, مَرَّ النَّبِيُّ صلى الله عليه وسلم بقبرين. He walked past the two graves, and he said, إِنَّهُمَا لَيُعَذَّبَانَ These two are being punished. One of them, he was being punished for what reason? أَمَّا أَحَدُهُمَا فَكَانَ لَا يَسْتَنْزِهُمْ مِنَ الْبَوْلِ He never used to look after himself when urinating. He never used to look after himself when going to the toilet. Splashes used to go everywhere, and he was careless. So as a consequence of that, because of that, he is getting punished in the grave. 
So this is from the morals of a Muslim, of a believer, that he keeps himself pure and clean. And that is why the hadith says, At-tahuru shatrul iman. Purification is half of your iman. So that is why we discuss these affairs. Unlike the people of innovation, the people of innovation, Ahlul Bid'ah, what you will hear them saying is that you people, you waste your time. They will say, you people, you waste your time. All you talk about is how to go to the toilet and what the woman should do on her periods. And this is your knowledge. The reality is that this is nonsense from them. All of this is a part of the religion. All of these are the rulings that the Prophet ﷺ has taught us. As we know, the religion of Islam, it is a complete religion for every aspect of your lives. Even when it comes to the issue of relieving yourself. And how a Muslim keeps himself pure and clean in accordance to the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. So here in this chapter, it's going to explain what are the things that a person should say, what are the things he's not allowed to say, what can he take into the toilet, what can he not take into the toilet with him, into the bathroom, etc. All of these different types of morals and behaviors of relieving yourself are going to be explained. Even to the extent of how a person should sit when doing that, what the, what the posture is, all of these types of things, inshallah, will be explained in this chapter. The shaykh says here, because some people, they might, like I said, the people of innovation, they might laugh at you and say, you waste your time studying these things. Or some people, they might be embarrassed. They say, this is embarrassing. How can you study these types of things? How can you learn about how you should behave as a Muslim when you go to the toilet? Then Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafidhahullah, he says, هَذَا مِمَّا يَتَمَيَّزُ بِهِ الْإِنسَانُ عَنِ الْحَيْوَانِ This type of knowledge, learning about how to use the toilet properly and how to relieve yourself properly, how to purify yourself properly, that is something that distinguishes you and makes you different from the animals. The animals don't know about these things. The animals don't know about purification after relieving themselves. Not in this manner that is going to be explained for the believers now. So that is something that differentiates the humans from the animals. So it's a type of knowledge which is of importance. فَالْإِنسَانْ كَرَّمَهُ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى وَعَزَّةِ The humans, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them honor. The humans have been given honor. And it is from your honor that you keep yourself pure and clean. There is no honor in an individual who uses the toilet and doesn't clean himself afterwards. Or an individual who uses the toilet and doesn't wash his hands afterwards. There is no honor in those affairs. The honor is that a Muslim behaves in the manner which we've been guided to behave in regards to these affairs. لِذَا فَهُوَ يَخْتَلِفُ عَنِ الْحَيْوَانَاتِ لِكَوْنِ الْحَيْوَانِ يَخْرُجُ فَضَلَاتُهُ يُخْرِجُ فَضَلَاتِهِ دُونَ تَقَيُّدٍ بِكَيْفِيَّةٍ وَلَا صِفَةٍ وَلَا مَكَانٍ And this is why the humans, they differ from animals. Animals, they don't care. However, they use the toilet. Wherever they go to relieve themselves, however they are sitting, however they are standing, wherever that place is, they don't care. That's why some of these kuffar, even though they try to uh, train their dogs so that they don't go to relieve themselves in the house, still they'll do it. Or out in the streets, you see it everywhere. So this is the behavior of animals where they don't care and they don't know. But the humans, Allah has given them honor in knowing how to behave with these types of affairs. وَهَذَا النِّذَامِ يَبْقَى يُبْقِي لِلْإِنسَانِ إِنسَانِيَّتَهُ وَكَرَامَتَهُ وَشَرَفَهُ And this guidance 
from the Prophet ﷺ in how a person purifies himself, it keeps a person's honor and it keeps a person's humanity. Because if a person doesn't care about how he relieves himself, doesn't wash himself, doesn't clean himself, then where, where is his humanity? Where is the humanity and the honor compared to the animals? It's the same as the animals in that case. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ That indeed we have honored, given honor to Bani Adam, the children of Adam alayhi salam, the humans. وَهَكَذَا دِينُ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينُ النِّظَامِ دِينُ الْكَمَالِ فِي كُلِّ شَيْءٍ and this is what Islam is like. It is complete and organized in everything. And indeed, Islam has prohibited from the disgraceful and the degrading types of affairs and disgraceful and degrading types of behaviors. To the extent that the believers have even been taught how to use the toilet properly, how to relieve themselves. وَقَدْ رُوِيَا أَنَّ رَجُلًا مِنَ الْيَهُودِ قَالَ لِأَبِي ذَرْ الله عنه. There's a narration that a man from the Jews said to Abu Dhar رضي الله عنه عَلَّمَكُمْ نَبِيُّكُمْ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ حَتَّى الْخَرَاءَ That the Prophet ﷺ has taught you everything even how to relieve yourself. This Jewish individual was contesting Abu Dhar saying to him that the Prophet ﷺ he has taught you everything even how to use the toilet? Even how to relieve yourself? قَالَ نَعَمْ He said yes. عَلَّمَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ سَلَّمْ عِنْدَ قَضَاءِ الْحَاجَةِ أَنْ نَفْعَلَ كَذَا وَنَفْعَلَ كَذَا وَنَفْعَلَ كَذَا He said yes. Even how to relieve ourselves and how to purify ourselves, the Prophet ﷺ has taught us that you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that. فَمَا تَرَكَ هَذَا الدِّينَ شَيْئًا يَحْتَاجُهُ الْبَشَرُ so this religion has not left anything. There is no gaps. Everything is explained. Even the affairs of relieving yourself. So this is a refutation of those individuals who say that this is useless to study these types of things and it is a waste of time to study these types of things. They say these things are useless and a waste. But the reality is that is their ignorance of the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the guidance of this religion whereby it explains every aspect. If they claim these things to you, then you can tell them, even in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the rulings of menstruation and the postnatal bleeding. When a woman gives birth, those rulings are mentioned in the Quran. When a woman is on the period, some of those rulings are mentioned in the Quran. So how can these individuals say, you people waste your time studying these things? Those things are mentioned in the Qur'an. And it's impossible for him to say that something which is in the Qur'an is a waste of time. وَذَكَرَ Nabi Sallam فِي السُنَّةِ هَذِي الْأَشْيَا And similarly the Prophet Sallam mentioned these things in the Sunnah. فَالَّذِي يُعِيبُ ذِكْرَ هَذِي الْأَشْيَا يَكُونُ عَائِبًا لِلْكِتَابِ وَسُنَّةِ So the person who says to you that these types of studies that you do are useless, they're wasteful, why do you bother learning these things? Then in reality, he's not criticizing you alone, he's criticizing the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Because these very same things that we're studying are ahadith from the Sunnah. They are ayat from the Qur'an. They are the Qur'an and the Sunnah where we're studying these things from, not from somewhere else. So if he criticizes you, he's criticizing the source of what you're studying and that is the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Uh, so therefore it is important to study these things and to know them and to act upon them 
And it is something which is needed for the people to study these things and to know about them. Because many people they don't. Many people they won't know the rulings of what they're supposed to do when they use the toilet. What are they allowed to take in with them? What are they not allowed to take in with them? What are they allowed to do when they're in there? What they're not allowed to do when they're in there? Many people will not know that. They will be ignorant of these affairs. So it's important to know this. All of this is the sunnah of the Prophet And so the shaykh says, if a person didn't know those things, if a person didn't know those things, then that would be something which is a deficiency in his religion. It's a deficiency in his purification. He wouldn't be able to purify himself properly. He wouldn't be able to implement the purification from the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ properly if he didn't know those affairs. So the first hadith that is mentioned in this chapter, in the chapter of the manners of relief, <coughs> the manners of relieving yourself. عن أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا دخل الخلاء وضع خاتمه أخرجه الأربعة وهو معلول. The first hadith is the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu where he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam when he used to enter the, the area for relieving yourself what we would now say the toilet then he would remove his ring. When he would enter the area to relieve himself to answer the call of nature then he would remove his ring. أخرجه الأربعة the Sunan the books of the Sunan Abu Dawud Nasai Tirmidhi ibn Majah and there is some issue with the authenticity of this hadith, as Al-Hafid ibn Hajar himself mentions. So regarding this hadith then, عن Anas, Anas ibn Malik, we've already said, he was the servant of the Prophet ﷺ, and he was with him for 10 years, uh, from when he came to Medina, when he first arrived in Medina, Anas ibn Malik, then he was with the Prophet ﷺ for those 10 years and he served him and he aided him. When he first came, Anas ibn Malik, he was a very young child. When Islam came to Medina, the father of Anas, Anas ibn Malik, Malik, the father of Anas, the companion, عنه, his father Malik, when Islam came to Medina, and it uh, spread in Medina, he ran away. He was a disbeliever, and he ran away. He ran away to Sham, Sham, which is now Jordan, Syria, that area. He ran away there, and he died there. وَبَقِيَ أَنَسْ الصَّغِيرِ مَعَ أُمِّهِ أُمْ سُلَيْمِ And Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu was left with his mother, Umm Sulaim radiallahu anha. فَلَمَّا قَدِمَ النَّبِي صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ جَاءَتْ بِهِ أُمُّهُ إِلَى so when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina, his mother Umm Sulaim came with him, he was a small child at the time, came with him to the Prophet ﷺ and said to the Prophet ﷺ, This is your helper or your servant Anas, your young, small helper Anas. He was a child at the time. فَقَبِلَهُ النَّبِي صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ خَادِمًا لَهُ So the Prophet ﷺ accepted him as a servant or a helper. وَتَشَرَّفَ بِخِدْمَةِ النَّبِي صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ And Anas ibn Malik was honored in helping the Prophet ﷺ and being a servant who would do the chores, etc. for the Prophet ﷺ. وَلَازَمَهُ مُلَازَمَةَ تَامَّةً إِلَى أَن تُوفِيَ النَّبِي صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ And Anas ibn Malik was with the Prophet ﷺ continuously until the Prophet ﷺ died. 
Also, it's mentioned that Anas ibn Malik عاش وطال عمره وكثر ماله وأولاده رضي الله تعالى عنه. It's mentioned that he lived a long time. He was very old when he died. And he had a lot of wealth. And he had a lot of children. ولذلك كان يروي عن نبي سلم أحاديث اختص بها عن غيره. لملازمته سلم وخدمته له. And because Anas ibn Malik was with the Prophet ﷺ for those 10 years, and he was with him constantly, he narrated certain hadith that was specific to him. Things that he knew that maybe other companions didn't know. So he narrated these types of narrations from his accompanying the Prophet ﷺ. So he says that when the Prophet ﷺ used to enter the area of relieving yourself, um, the reason why they call it khala in Arabic, as the hadith says, كان النبي صلى إذا دخل الخلاء When the Prophet ﷺ used to enter the khala, khala in Arabic refers to something which is vacant, void. There's no one there. Something that is empty and vacant and void. Because that is the place where you would go to relieve yourself. Somewhere where it's empty. No one can see you. That's what khala means in the Arabic language. Somewhere that is empty and no one can see you. There are no people there. And that is the place where an individual would go to relieve himself. Now the Sheikh goes on to mention <coughs> that even the words for uh, the items that exit from a person when you go to the toilet, the urine and the feces, the stool, in Arabic they have names for them that are secondary names because they dislike to name them directly, to be very direct and open about those affairs is disliked because they are degrading affairs, that which exits from a person when relieving himself. So even the word for the feces and the urine in Arabic are words that are derived from the actual locations where you would do that. So here, for example, we say toilet. In Arabic, they say khala, a place which is empty and uh, vacant and void. Rather than saying straight out, as we would say in English, toilet. They have a name which indicates the name of the place. All of that generally the Shaykh is saying that in Arabic, in the language, due to the disliking of referring to these items directly and mentioning them explicitly, then they have these secondary types of names to indicate them, and that is from the good manners. فَقَوْلُهُ إِذَا دَخَلَ الْخَلَاءِ So when he used to enter the area to relieve himself, and the shaykh says this is something which every human encounters, that once he eats and he drinks, then he must relieve himself. And the Prophet ﷺ was the same, but rather he was ennobled. He was ennobled by being a prophet, and by being given the messengership. But otherwise, he was a human. Otherwise, the Prophet ﷺ was a human. But, he was ennobled and the best of the creation because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose him to be the final prophet and messenger and to give him that message. And Jibreel alayhi salam came down with that revelation and he was given the final book, the Qur'an. All of that makes the Prophet sallam the greatest of creation from the humans. Makes him the greatest of the creation and even the issue of the angels is discussed by the scholars. So all of that is the great station and the position of the Prophet sallam but despite that he was human. And that's why you see the error of some people who say that the Prophet ﷺ, he was made out of light, and that when he walked, he had no shadow. All of that is incorrect. 
the permanent committee, the senior scholars in Saudi Arabia, they gave a fatwa that this is, there's no basis to this in the Quran and the Sunnah. It's not proven, there's no evidence that he was made out of light, وسلم, or that he used to walk without a shadow. None of that is proven. That is the exaggerations of some of the people. But the reality is, he was human, but he was ennobled and the best of all of them. And that is the same for the other prophets and messengers too. The other prophets and messengers, they were the same. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran in Surah Al-Furqan, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ مِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِلَّا أَنَّهُمْ لَيَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامِ وَيَمْشُونَ فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ That we did not send before you any of the messengers except that they used to eat. They used to eat too. So the messengers and the prophets, they were humans. But they were ennobled and honored with the messengership and the prophethood. فَهُمْ بَشَرٌ So they are humans. لَيْسَ لَهُمْ شَيْءٌ مِنَ الْرُبُوبِيَّةِ These prophets and messengers, they don't have anything from lordship. وَلَا مِنَ الْأُلُوهِيَّةِ Neither from worship. You don't specify them for any type of worship. وَلَمْ In fact, the Shaykh mentions it here. وَلَمْ يُخْلَقُوا مِنْ نُورِ And they were not created from light. وَإِنَّمَا خُلِقُوا مِمَّا خُلِقَ مِنْهُ الْبَشَرِ Rather, they were created from the same thing that humans are created from. وَلَا يَجُوزُ أَنْ يُنْصَبُوا إِلَيْهِمْ شَيْءٌ مِّنْ صِفَاتِ الرَّبِّ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى And it is not permissible to associate to them any of the characteristics or attributes of Allah. أَوْ أَنَّهُمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ مَا خُلِقَ مِنْهُ الْبَشَرِ Or to claim to say that they were created, the prophets and messengers, from something different to what we are created. Rather, they were humans. كَمَا قَالَتِ النَّصَارَ عَنِ الْمَسِيحِ just like the Christians believe about Isa a.s. that he was the son of Allah or that he is a part of Allah. Ta'ala Allahu amma yaqulun aluwan kabira and Allah is far removed and high above all of this type of speech that he has a son. So the Prophet would enter <coughs> the area of relieving yourself as humans do. وَقَوْلُهُ كَانَ إِذَا دَخَلَ and the statement of the uh, Anas radiallahu anhu that when the Prophet sallallahu used to enter the area to re- relieve yourself يَضَعُ خَاتِمَهُ خَاتَمَهُ that he used to remove his ring because indeed the Prophet sallallahu he had a ring and the ring is something which is known something that you have a band that you put around your finger uh, and it might have some type of embroidery on it or other types of things, but that is known what a ring is that you wear on your finger. It may be from silver, it may be from some other types, uh, except gold. Clearly gold would not be permissible for the men. Uh, as for having a ring made of some material other than gold, وَلَوْ كَانَ ثَمِينًا even if it was really expensive, some of these expensive types of materials, ruby and emerald and these types of things that they have, even if a person had a ring made from those types of materials, there's no harm in that. But the gold, as we've already mentioned in the previous chapters, that would be impermissible for the men. So the Prophet ﷺ had a ring, and he had three lines written on the ring. On the first line, Muhammad. On the second line, Rasul. And on the third line, Allah. Muhammadun Rasul Allah Muhammadun Rasulullah And so the Prophet ﷺ, He used to remove that ring When going to relieve The call of nature The reason being Quite clearly Or as it would appear Because on the ring it says Muhammadun Rasul Allah The name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Was on that ring 
So due to that, the shaykh says, Allahu alam, but due to that, it would appear that is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ used to remove that ring so as not to take the name of Allah, which was on that ring, the third line, into the area of relieving yourself. Uh, so the toilet, you do not enter into the toilet anything which has the name of Allah on it. This is the meaning of the statement of Anas anhu that he used to remove his ring. For that reason, because there was the name of Allah written on it. So the Prophet ﷺ used to remove that and leave it somewhere outside. Not take it into the area where he was going to relieve the call of nature. وَلَا شَكَّ بِأَنَّ دَخُولَ الْخَلَابِ شَيْءٍ فِيهِ ذِكْرُ اللَّهِ أَنَّهُ مَكْرُوهُ And no doubt, entering into the toilet with something that has the supplications or the remembrance of Allah upon it is, not, is disliked, is something not good to do. So if a person is able to remove that and to leave it somewhere in an honorable place, somewhere where it's safe and it will not be uh, degraded or anything of that nature, then that's what he should do. Remove these items with the remembrance of Allah on them and remove, uh, leave them outside of the toilet or the area where he is going to relieve himself. Because this is what the Prophet ﷺ did in this narration. And the people of knowledge have an agreement that it is disliked, something not recommended whatsoever, to enter the toilet with something that has the name of Allah on it. Except if you feared that it might be stolen, or you feared that it might get lost. You might be out somewhere uh, in some type of public toilets, and you can't leave it outside on a table somewhere. You fear that somebody will take it. You fear it might get lost. You can't just leave it on a table somewhere. You're in some public place, some public toilets for example. So there's no way to leave it. There's nowhere safe you can leave it. There's no other person you can leave it with. You can't just leave it outside... Uh, service stations, things like that, for example, maybe. Maybe that you don't find any safe place. So you can't just leave it on a table or on a shelf somewhere. People will come and take it and say it's lost property. Especially if it's emerald and ruby and gold, uh, silver. It might get stolen because of its, uh, it's a value. So if a person fears that by leaving this thing outside, it might get stolen or it might get lost, then in that case, he can take it in to the area of relieving himself, but he must conceal it. So if it was a ring, or if it was some other paper, conceal it. Wrap it up in something, put it away in the inside pocket somewhere concealed. Not out in the open. Not in the top pocket open, it can be seen. Conceal that item somewhere, in the pockets, inside the thobe, or inside the shirt, whatever it is. Conceal the item and go in. If you fear that by leaving it outside, it may be stolen or lost. The Sheikh gives an example of that. <coughs> he mentions that up until the time of Bani Umayyah, after the initial, uh, the Prophet ﷺ and the Khulafa al-Rashidin, in the time of Bani Umayyah, they used to have coins, money, coins like we have 2p, 5p, 10p coins, darahim. And these coins, they used to have written on them sometimes, some of these coins, the remembrance of Allah in some form or another. But at that time, they used to enter into the toilets with the money, with those coins. Because clearly, you couldn't leave money outside somewhere, it would be stolen. It would be taken. So that is an example the shaykh gives that at that time, they used to have money, coins, with the remembrance of Allah in some form or another, engraved onto them. That's the way their coins were. 
But they used to have to take them in because that was the only way to guard over them and to preserve them. Leaving them outside, they will be taken and stolen. So in that instance, a person, if he fears that, can take it inside, but he must keep that concealed when he walks in. Somewhere hidden inside of his pockets, wrapped up, etc. This hadith is narrated by the, he says, Al-Arba'ah. The four of them narrated it. When you see in the books of hadith, wherever you read, that the four of them narrated it. Now that's all it says. This hadith, the four of them narrated it. Al-Arba'ah. The meaning of that is, the Ashabu Sunan. Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, and Nasai, Ibn Majah, and Tirmidhi. Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, and Nasai, and Ibn Majah. Those four are the four that are meant. Sometimes you see a hadith. It just says, the four of them narrated it, and that's it. The four of them is these four. Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, Nasai, Ibn Majah. Ha'ulaihum ashabu sunan. These are the ashabu sunan. That's what they're known as. Wahuwa ma'lul. Al-Qiyas an yuqal huwa mu'al. And this hadith, it has some... Issue within it. Some of the scholars have said the hadith it might not actually be authentic. Even though, like we said, the scholars are agreed that clearly you do not take something with the remembrance of Allah, the name of Allah, into the toilet. That's agreed upon from other evidences, etc. This particular narration, some of the scholars have said maybe there is some weakness in it. Is this narration actually correct or not? Uh, because it's narrated by certain narrators, Ibn Juraj and his Zuhri. And Ibn Juraj, this individual, was known for Tadlis. Tadlis is where they might be slightly deceptive in the chains of narration sometimes. And they might not be holy, they might be economical with the truth, as they say. Sometimes they might be economical with the truth. Meaning, sometimes, for example, a narrator, he might narrate from someone who's younger than him, for example. And he feels shy to tell the people that I've narrated this hadith from that young person. I'm 70 years old, and that person who's only 20 or 18, he narrated the hadith to me. He might feel shy. It might occur. So in that instance, they do tadlis, meaning they are economic with the truth. That person who's 20 years old, he might be called, for example, Abu Khalid Muhammad ibn Idris, for example. So he says in the general narration, I heard from Abu Khalid, and he leaves it at that. Then other people who come along, they might get confused because there's another Abu Khalid who's 80 years old. They think, well, this, this person is 70, that one is 80. It must be from him. That's his sheikh. So then they get, think it's him. These types, that's just one example. And that's in the sciences of hadith. If you study it, then it explains the different types of things that might occur. That is one random general example of this being economic with the truth. Um... So this hadith, it indicates several things. The first of those issues is that the Prophet ﷺ is a human just as we are humans. And he would relieve himself as we relieve ourselves. So this is a refutation of those people who go into extremism with regards to the right of the Prophet ﷺ. And indeed the Prophet ﷺ was created from the same way that we are created. The second hadith indicates that a person should cover himself when going to the toilet so other people cannot see him. That's what khala means in Arabic, to go to a place where you are concealed. So that is from the guidance also that a person conceals himself when using the toilet. Which would perhaps therefore indicate that it is not correct to use the toilets that are the stand-up toilets, these public places where they have the hole in the wall. Where they have the hole in the wall, this basin, this tub, and the people, they stand in the urinate. You're not covering yourself, you're not concealing yourself. 
That's one reason to not to use those. So you must cover yourself and conceal yourself. The third point is that it is disliked to enter the bathroom, to enter the toilet with something which is from the Qur'an or from the remembrance of Allah or from the names of Allah. And that is agreed upon by the scholars. And they've used this narration as well as other narrations to prove that this is something disliked. Except if there was some need or necessity because you feel that it might get stolen or lost, etc. Then in that case, you can conceal that item and take it in. In your home, then for example, there wouldn't be any excuse. What do you have? What, what do you fear in your home? How is it going to be stolen if you leave it on the landing or in the bedroom when you go to the bathroom? There's no excuse in those types of uh, situations. But if there was a need and there was a genuine situation, then it's okay, concealed. Uh, also, the hadith indicates the permissibility of men wearing rings because the Prophet ﷺ used to wear a ring. And especially if a person uh, uh, was in need of that uh, and the name of Allah was written on it, for example, uh, if he writes his name on it as a stamp. In the olden days, sometimes they might have a ring and their, name is, their own name is written on the ring. Because when they used to send letters, then they would put some ink on that and they stamp the letter with that. Nowadays, you have proper stamps that you do it with. But sometimes they might do it like that. On the ring, they have their name on it. They have their name on it and they stamp with that. So that type of thing, it's permissible to do so. وَكَذَلِكَ غَيْرُهُ خُصُوصًا إِذَا كَانَ وَالِيًا أَوْ قَاضِيًا أَوْ لَهُ صِفَةً رَسْمِيَةً فَإِنَّهُ بِحَاجَةٍ إلَى اتِّخَاذِ الْخَاتِمِ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ يَخْتِمَ بِهِ عَلَى الْأَشْيَاءِ الصَّادِرَةِ عَنْهُ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونُ عُرْضَةً لِلتَّزْوِيرِ وَالتَّلَاعُبِ فَفِيدٌ عَلَى إِبَاحَةِ اتِّخَاذِ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا خَاتِمَ الذَّهَبِ وَخَاتِمٌ فِيهِ شَيْءٌ مِنَ الذَّهَبِ Basically the Sheikh says it's permissible to take that type of stamp or that type of ring as long as it's not made from gold or has anything from gold within it. So they are the benefits from that particular narration. The next hadith, also from Anas ibn Malik. An Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu qal, kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, al khala qal, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-khubthi wal-khaba'if. Akhrajahu sab'ah. In this hadith, Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he used to enter the toilet, then he would say, O oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from al-khubthi wal-khaba'if. And that explanation will come, the khubth and the khaba'ith. What are the khubth and the khaba'ith that the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge from when entering the place of relieving himself? Uh, this hadith is narrated by seven. Here Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar says, the seven of them narrated it. He doesn't tell you which ones exactly. He just says the seven of them. But what does it mean when the scholars say the seven of them have narrated it? The four that we already mentioned... You need three more. So who are the three extras? Al-Bukhari, Muslim, one more left. That's six now altogether. The scholars, when they say the seven of them narrated it, they always mean a specific seven. Those six and Ahmed. <coughs> Musnad al-Imam Ahmed. That is the seven. So this hadith is narrated in those seven. So when the Prophet ﷺ entered the place of relieving himself, um, he would say, Bismillah. He would start by saying, Bismillah. And that is something that you say at the point of entering. At the point of entering. Not after you've entered, but at the point of entering just prior to entering. وَمُنَاسَبَةُ قَوْلِ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ لِأَنَّ مَوْضِعَ قَضَاءِ الْحَاجَ مَحَلٌ لِلشَّيَاطِينَ 
Why would you say Bismillah before entering the toilet? Because the toilet and those areas where you relieve yourself are places where the shayateen, they gather. Those types of dirty places, the shayateen, they like them. And that's where they gather and they come together. So it is befitting that you seek aid and assistance in Allah by saying Bismillah before entering that particular location. The shayateen, the shaykh says, they like, they are accustomed to the dirty and the impure types of things. وَلِذَٰلِكَ تَكْثُرُ فِي الْحَمَامَاتِ وَالْحُشُوشِ وَالْمَوَاعِذِ الْقَذِرَةِ And that's why you see them in these dirty places in the toilets. Or not that you see them, but rather that's where they gather. That's where they come together. So if a person says, Bismillah, then he is seeking aid and assistance to be protected from those shayateen that may be in that place. لِأَنَّهُ إِذَا لَمْ يُسَمِّي فَإِنَّهُ رُبَّمَا يَتَأَذَّ مِنْ شَرِّهَا If a person didn't begin with the name of Allah before entering, it's possible that he may be harmed by them uh, whilst in that location. Uh, and he may even be overcome in his mind. They may overcome him, the shaykh says, it's possible. That's why an individual, he begins with Bismillah, to make this fortress around himself in the name of Allah, before entering into that. Then after that he says, Allahumma inni, <coughs> Allahumma inni a'udhu bika. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you. Meaning, I seek my protection in you, and I seek refuge in you. To give me shelter and to protect me. Min al khubth. Al khubth is the plural of khabith, and that is the shaitan. So al khubth, al khubth, with a dhamma on the ba, al khubth is the plural of shaitan, so al khubth is the shayateen, the devils. Amma bit taskeen, fal muradu bihi al shar. If you say khubth with a sukoon, khubth. That means shar, the evil things, the disgusting, dirty, evil things. But khubuth means the shayateen. And khaba'if means the female shayateen. So in that case, you are seeking refuge in Allah to protect you from the male and the female shayateen that may have gathered in that location that you're going to enter. So khubth, the meaning of the word is evil. That there is some evil associated to it. Uh, evilness, and that's why you're seeking refuge from the evil, whether it is male or female uh, shayateen. So this hadith indicates the legislation of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prior to entering the toilet or the place of relieving yourself. And the reasoning behind that is that, that an individual, he protects himself from the evil of the shayateen that will be gathered in that place so that they don't overcome him or they don't have any effect upon him. And that's why you say, Bismillah, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-khubthi wal-khaba'if. And at the end it says, Qawluhu kana Nabi Sallam ila akhirihi kana tufidu al-istimrar. Ya'ani annahu Sallam mustamirun ala hadha al-amr wa lam yakun la yaf'aluhu illa ba'da al-marrat. The fact that Anas ibn Malik says that the Prophet Sallam used to, he used to do this, that indicates continuity. That the Prophet always used to do this. Not that sometimes he would make this dua, entering the toilet and sometimes leave it. No, rather he used to do it all the time. Whenever you enter the bathroom, you enter the toilet, then you make this dua prior to entering to protect yourselves from the shayateen, from the evil that may have gathered in that place. That is the end of the second hadith. The next hadith, Inshallah, we'll start it next time. Is concerning again Anas ibn Malik, 
And this is the hadith which speaks about how Anas ibn Malik and another individual, another small boy, they used to carry a bucket of water for the Prophet ﷺ and a type of stick so that he could uh, purify himself afterwards. So now he's going to start explaining in this hadith how you actually go about purifying yourself after relieving yourself. So far the two hadith we've mentioned, one has been about not taking remembrance of Allah into the toilets, and the second has been making your dua before entering. So now that you've done all of that, if you've removed the remembrance of Allah, you've made your dua, you've entered, then how do you actually purify yourself from it? That inshallah will begin with next time uh, from that point.